checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. This is Matt Zemick. He's Alex Blau. Uh, Alex is back from uh, uh, his his travels across the country uh, for Halloween. And uh, so we're back together. Tag team action once again. We're under the uh, College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Find your favorite College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast, whether it's Patrick Netherton's and Alex Blau's favorite, Pigskin and Burnt Ends, Tyler Jones' Big 12 Breakdown, or Yards and Stripes reviewing the Air Force Army game and Air Force winning the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, Florida Football Insiders reviewing uh, Seminoles crushing the Hurricanes, and also South Florida uh, firing Jeff Scott uh, as its head coach. That's with Jason Powers. Find your favorite College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast at Get Red Circle, at uh, also Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network. So, you know, not no no big upsets in the Pac-12. Like, that's been the theme this year. The big upsets aren't happening. We're getting closer to Showdown Saturday, USC, UCLA, Utah, Oregon. One more week for all four of the top teams to avoid uh, stepping on a landmine. Uh, USC, though, came the closest to getting blown up. Now, that, now how's that for uh, a lot? UCLA won uh, by 14. Uh, you had Utah winning by you know three, three or more scores against Arizona. And you had Oregon absolutely crushing Colorado. USC cut it the closest, 41-35 over Cal. And so... Alex, I mean, you know, you are a student at USC, but like, even if you weren't, this would be the number one story from week 10 in the Pac-12. You know, we know that there are injuries. We know that Eric Gentry's out. We know that Raylan Goforth is out. We know that they're, they're short up at linebacker. They're thin, they're thin, very thin at that spot. And we know we're not going to see the best of this defense without Eric Gentry, but you should never get torched by Cal. Like if you're getting torched by Cal, if Jack Plummer looks like Aaron Rodgers uh, and it's 2003, 2004, um, something's wrong. Something's very wrong. Something's, something's rotten in the state of Denmark. So where do we start with Alex Grinch in this USC defense? So it's, it's funny. You mentioned a few things. First off, as a student, as a, a lifelong fan of SC, uh, not being too long, only two decades, but uh, – it's not a big surprise when USC almost blows it late. It's not a USC game unless it's unnecessarily close and frustratingly close for no reason. Um, it's been interesting being around campus this year because I, this USC student body, this fan base has been really excited and really jived up and for good reason. You know, Lincoln has been one of these revolutionary college coaches when you look at the game um offensively the problem is (laughs) defensively he's kind of been carrying the weight of this guy named alex grinch for years it's been going back to oklahoma it's not a new thing out west um and this is the first time all year i've seen this usc base after this this cal game sit back and say uh 
you know, maybe something's wrong here. It's been all positive thinking. It's been all optimism. But now I think we're starting to see people. I got a lot of pushback. I, I, I talked about this and a lot of people were saying, hey, you haven't given him a, a first a full recruiting class. You haven't given him a full year. Um, terrible take. And then a lot of Oklahoma fans saw my take and they said, well, <laughs> hold on. We're not, we were, we were never trying to as well. We do try to insult you guys. No, we, no, no love. But in this instance, we were trying to warn you guys. He's a, he's a, he's a fraud. Um, so yeah, you have a lot of USC people saying, wow, something may be wrong in this regime. Uh, the honeymoon phase may be over, uh, especially for Alex Grinch. This is a, this is a team that started, uh, leading the nation in turnovers, uh, and and still you're not seeing Caleb Williams turn the ball over that much. You're seeing this defense not produce anything. Um, the DB play is 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 almost abysmal. You know, Kalen Bullock was was a, a brief star in this game against Cal, um, and you have Tui Pelotu who in the first half seemed like he was getting some pressure, but the Alex Grinch, the Alex Grinch scheme is where you have a problem. And I know we're going to get to UCLA's defense later, but to me, it's it's two teams, two defenses, seeing the same results, but in two very different situations. All right, Alex. So you know, let, let's just go through this because you know, there, there. When I was uh, you know covering this game for Trojans Wire, you know where I where I edit the site, uh, you know in the fourth quarter, there were some fire Grinch tweets flowing across uh, my timeline. People that I follow, you know, USC fans. You know, not not commentators, but fa- there were a few fans who were definitely saying, you know, fire Grinch. Like this is this is a joke. This is unacceptable. Oh, I'm Matt. Let's, I'm one of them. I'm, I know you saw my tweet. I know okay. you saw my tweets, Matt Zemeck. <laughs> so let's. But I mean, you know, so like that sentiment has emerged, and let's deal with it. Like I, I think it's understandable in the sense that hey, this is USC. We're trying to restore glory here at least that is you know the purpose of the lincoln riley hired the purpose of the new regime that you know we and this is something like i'm not i didn't go to usc uh disclosure my dad did attend usc in the early 1960s Uh, he majored in latin american literature for anyone who cares um so like i do know like the usc fan base has very high standards it's one of the things i like about the usc fan base like they they don't accept they just come out and Come out and ask. We'll adopt you as a fan. You just ask us, point blank. <laughs> but I mean, the, the USC fan base, like eight and four, doesn't cut it. Like you, you, it's that's not allowed. You, you're not supposed. You're not hired as a coach at USC to go eight and four. Like that is not cool. never. That is never good. That's never acceptable. Um, so from that standpoint, yeah, like we shouldn't give Alex Grinch a free pass. You know that he has to earn his place. Um, and, and I think you could make the argument that you know. Going back to the hire, Lincoln Riley bringing him from Oklahoma, that Alex Grinch, um, you could make a case that he had earned the right to, to be the defensive coordinator at USC, but he's not an elite defensive coordinator. Like, we are still truly waiting. Like, that is an obvious point, that even the biggest Alex Grinch apologist, not to mention, you know, just a lot of people who think that, oh, well, you got to give him 2023. He is not an elite defensive coordinator. Like no one can say that. He had one. Anyone, anyone can year. rush. Anyone can send three and and pull eight back. You know what I mean? Well, and and anyone can. One could make the argument anyone can coach uh, for Lincoln Riley when the offense is always scoring over forty points a game. 
So we know that Alex Grinch isn't elite. He had the really good 2020 season at Oklahoma, the pandemic year. That's when the Oklahoma defense uh, carried the Sooners uh, a lot. And Grinch did some good work for, for Mike Leach at Washington State. Um, but he, he is not one of the like the top three, five, ten uh, defensive coordinators in the United States. And you could just make the simple case, hey, at USC, you should have the best, only the best. And Alex Grinch is not there. These last three games against Utah, Arizona, and Cal have proved it. Um, but of course, what what about the first six weeks? Like that, that really seems to get to the heart of this complicated debate about Alex Grinch. That even though he's not an elite coordinator, he saved the offense's bacon. He saved Lincoln Riley in the Oregon State game, in the Washington State game. So now, now we've had the downturn, and it's come without Eric Gentry. So it's not as though Alex Grinch had a fully healthy defense. So Alex, how do you weigh these pros and cons when you're sorting through the, the process of, you know, is, is uh, letting Alex Grinch go after one year, is it merited? I mean, like there's a reasonable case to make, but there of course is the counterbalance. How do you weigh those competing tensions? There's, there's the counterbalance. I mean, the Eric Gentry loss for sure has, has been felt. This USC defense hasn't looked the same. Shane Lee's coming back, but this Eric Gentry was a massive, massive uh, missing component. And I am hesitant to say I learned anything from OU fans. I didn't. But I, they really do resent Grinch and have this feeling they hold against him that, you know, we went to the CFP a few times. It was clear our defense didn't hold up. But they, they feel like that Rose Bowl against Georgia was following the USC Penn State Rose Bowl, led by Baker Mayfield. That team, Oklahoma fans still feel it was their college football playoff to win, and it was Alex Grinch who lost it for them. Oh, um, wait, wait. And, Grinch, uh, was not, Grinch was not coaching the defense. You know, Mike Stoops oh. got fired in 2018. So if Oklahoma okay. fans were telling you that Grinch blew the Rose Bowl against Georgia, well, he was not. He was not on See, staff at that time. I, I, I need your expertise to come right back at him. I mean, not that I'm going to defend Alex Grinch at any time, but always, okay. always good to be informed. You know what I mean? Always good you know, to be you informed. Know, you were, you were away from the show. You were away from the show on Halloween. So, like, you, I, I hope that, like, you, when you got trick-or-treat uh, Halloween candy, that you didn't take it from, you know, the, those OU fans uh, who were telling no. you that Alex Grinch was coaching the 2017 defense because he wasn't. Who knows like, you, need, were, you need to get your Reese's. You need to get your Reese's and your Twix from smart OU fans who, you know, will, will give you the accurate historical read there. Um, Maybe they weren't. Now, now the, the, uh, the 2019 Oklahoma playoff team, which got absolutely shredded by LSU in, in the Peach Bowl and Joe Burrow, that was an Alex Grinch defense. You know, just yeah, got absolutely but, but that was, apart, that not was ready greatest, for prime time. Was- and and I think the other the other legitimate, greatest college offense of all time. Yeah, our greatest college offense of all time. And Oklahoma had a player suspended for that game. Uh, so like oh, that that's not something that Alex Grinch could control. But I think the biggest argument against Alex Grinch on an Oklahoma basis, you know, related to the Sooners, was that you know in 2021, Oklahoma was supposed to make the national title game. Oklahoma preseason was number two supposed to get over the hump when not just make the playoff but win a playoff semifinal which Lincoln Riley never did and that defense underperformed like that team fell far short uh, of expectations you know they went to the Alamo Bowl 
uh, the game that, you know, USC very much hopes to avoid this year. Uh, and, and so like when Alex Grinch had all the cards on the table after his strong 2020 season, his 2021 defense did not make the cut. That's, that's probably the biggest failure that Alex Grinch has had because in 2019, you know, he was still, try, still trying to inherit the situation from Mike Stoops uh, in 2018, but in 2021, like it, it was all there. Like it was fully believed that Oklahoma had uh, elite talent on defense, ready to make a big national statement. And, you know, everything fell apart. I mean, you know, the Lincoln Riley didn't coach Spencer Rattler very well at the start of 2021, leading to a couple losses before Caleb Williams uh, came aboard with that team. But Grinch, you know, very much did not make the cut. And I just, you know, so he, 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 he helped this USC team early in the season. I think, I think one thing we need to touch on Alex is that like what has happened these past few weeks, because we can say Eric Gentry, Eric Gentry till the cows come home, but you know, the secondary really has regressed. And it's not just, you know, Arizona receivers making incredible catches. Like Cal does not have the receivers that Arizona does. Uh, no, that was the you're, case. You're giving up over 400 yards to, to, to Cal and Jack Plummer. Like that is a complete implosion. I do have to say in the first half, it looked like almost every first down Cal got was some sort of miracle highlight play. Those guys were getting lucky at the end there. But you're right. Something is, is wrong with this USC defense, the DBs are certainly not playing uh, the same that they are. I think uh, Dante Williams, the, the DB coach, you know, a lot of people would be calling for his head, but frankly, he's, he's beloved around the campus. Um, he's one of the few pieces from the old regime that Lincoln kept on, and he's a great Southern Cal recruiter. Um, high school kids love him, and he brings a lot of talent to the USC area. So the DB play is definitely somewhere you can point your finger and say, we need to, we need to strictly cover better. Um, the run game's clearly, clearly not there, but they can't put away games late. That's what we're getting. We're seeing these massive leads um, and, and they're simply not putting games away late. It's not because they're undisciplined, you know, we're not seeing excessive flags, um, but if you're giving up 400 passing yards and most of the game, you're not, trying to pressure the QB, but instead play back into pass coverage and you still can't stop the pass against Cal, you, you have issues. Yeah. You know, now, you know, or against Oregon State, you know, the defense intercepts Chance Nolan four times, uh, shut out Washington State and Cam Ward in the second half. And the defense was not getting beaten down the field on pass plays. I mean, it did, that was one of the consistent things about the first six weeks of the season. They did not give up chunk plays in the passing game. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the defense was not unraveling in the fourth quarter, in the second half, and that is just flipped. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I identify with this defensive regression, Sierra Wright. Sierra Wright was really good in the first half of the season, but, but not in recent weeks. And in my USC coverage, one of the things that's come up uh, on some of my other media obligations, some of the other commentators uh, and analysts I work with, they've pointed out that Alex Grinch, uh, and this started against Utah, he was playing the run against Utah. He was focused in that game on stopping Tavion Thomas, and he never really adjusted into a, a mostly a pass-first defensive scheme. That's why Dalton Kincaid was able to catch 16 balls for you know over 200 yards and just absolutely smoke mm. the USC defense. Mm -hmm. 
and we've and we fought against Cal because Grinch was trying to stop Jaden Ott on the ground. And so he's coming out thinking that he needs to stop these teams with the run, um, you know, which is where USC was weak in the first half of the season. And he's not adjusting to a pass first defense. And that is hurting his corners. Uh, certainly the non makai Blackman corners, CR Wright being uh, a, a primary example of that. So schematically, that could be one of the reasons why the dynamic has changed for this defense in recent weeks. Let's uh, broaden our focus beyond Alex Grinch and USC and look and just get an early peek at the USC UCLA game. You know, we're going to give a fuller deep dive uh, next week. You know, after uh, USC and UCLA get through uh, week eleven uh, on on November twelfth. You know, when they play on November nineteenth, we're going to give this game a fuller examination, of course, but. Uh, let's let's get a, an early look at this game. And one of the results from the past weekend, uh, from week 10, which was an eye-opener, was SMU beating Houston 77-63, a 140-point game. There were 91 points in the first half, 56-35 SMU at halftime. Uh, is this what USC-UCLA is going to be? Because, you know, remember, <laughs> UCLA scored 62 against USC last year. Now USC has Caleb Williams, and we know that that offense can take off like a rocket ship if it maxes out, doesn't drop some passes, doesn't leave points on the field. I mean, if you set the over-under for 100 points in USC-UCLA, like no one would laugh, like in, in the sense that people would say, oh, yeah, that actually could happen. Like that would be a very realistic scenario to have like a 52-49 56 49 uh type game like is that you know, are like are you convinced that we're going to see that or do you think that there's going to be like a plot twist involved that's going to push this game uh you know f- further down in terms of its point total and that it might be quote unquote only you know 42 35 or 45 38 well i think it's definitely going to be on it'll be high scoring like last year but unlike last year it's not going to be a so ucla dominant Look, both these defenses struggle, and both these offenses play into those defensive struggles perfectly. We've we've mentioned USC a lot, so let's look at that UCLA offense. First off, no Zach Charbonnet, no problem, because the run game could not be stopped. Uh, DTR looked like a, a man on a mission on the ground in the air. He got it done any way you would need it. Uh, the, the, the UCLA machine gave over 400 yards without their main running back. Um, this is, this is going to hurt USC's defense. They're not so much undisciplined, but they, they, they can't scheme well, especially if you can't get, if you're going to send three men at DTR and just let them run around you, that's not a recipe for success. Um, on the flip side, you have a USC offense who is, man, they're precise. They're like surgeons at work. They can move quick. They can eat up the clock if you need them to with Travis Dye. Uh, you know, we saw Jordan Addison and Mario Williams out this week. We saw Michael Jackson, not that Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, the third step up and, and make big plays, screen passes, uh, you know, big yardage downfield. Um, that being said, I, I, UCLA's defense is one that seems to draw a lot of penalties. They make a lot of mental errors and that's where they're getting beat. When you got Lincoln Riley leading the USC offense, that's a mental game you're going to lose. That's a game of chess. You do not have the upper hand. Uh, so I think you're going to see a massive offensive explosion just because these defenses, they don't they don't play well against these formatted teams. 
it, it's really going to be interesting. And, you know, UCLA and USC, they were playing basically parallel games uh, on Saturday. You know, they, the USC led by 20, 34-14. UCLA led by uh, 25, 35-10. And those those games both were came, became six-point games in the fourth quarter. And both USC and UCLA led by 14. They gave up a touchdown, and both Cal and Arizona State went for two down by eight and made it to go down by six. It was eerie how similar those two games became late. Now, USC uh, just you know ran out the clock against Cal. Cal did score uh, to make it 41-35 with about 2.30 left. So USC didn't have to score again. It just needed to get a first down, which it did. UCLA's lead was cut to six with about six minutes left. So it did need to score, and it did, uh, winning 50-36 to 36 by 14. But really, those two games were on noticeably uh, parallel tracks, and it certainly just reinforces the idea that that is going to be a crazy video game-style shootout uh, when they meet on November 19th. All right, so elsewhere, let's take it outside of, of Los Angeles. The college football playoff. And, you know, so Oregon, you know, it's, this is a really fascinating thing that, you know, Oregon has played so well since the week one loss to Georgia. And obviously, if uh, Georgia is the number one seed, which, you know, if you're looking at the playoff uh, seeds right now, you do think that Georgia is probably going to be the one seed. Is So this is really the, the key debate as far as I'm concerned, Alex. If Georgia is the number one seed, obviously, then you have Ohio State. The Ohio State-Michigan winner is very likely number two. And Tennessee mm-hmm. is likely number three. Like, that, that's really how it shakes out. Currently, you have unbeaten TCU holding it down at number four. But I think most people would, would say that TCU is probably going to lose at some point. Like, the Horned Frogs have been enormously lucky. They've been really good, all right? Give Sonny Dykes a ton of credit. Max Duggan, and also Lincoln Riley's younger brother, Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator there. They've been really good, but also they've run into games where the opposing team's quarterback seems to get hurt. That has happened multiple times for TCU this season. They've been uncommonly fortunate in that regard. Now, they've made the most of that luck, so full credit to them, and they, they were down 17 to Oklahoma State, came back. Down to 18 to Kansas State, came back. So, like, they're plucky. They're persistent. They've earned their place. But people think that, you know, they're probably going to lose one game before it's all said and done. And that puts the Pac-12 champion in play for that number four seed. And so if let's say Oregon is the Pac-12 champion, 12 and one, is the committee going to say, hey, let's bring on an Oregon-Georgia rematch in the one versus four playoff semifinal or wow, that was a 46-point game. We have to go somewhere else. We could take TCU. We could take Dabo, Swinney, and Clemson if they finish 12-1. and one. Alex, what do you what do you think uh, ha- happens under that scenario? Well, it, to me, you made a better – you made a great point. I think that four spot has opened up, especially for Oregon. But what if – what about the winner of UCLA-USC if they go on to face Oregon in the Pac-12 in Vegas – uh, and they come out 12 and one. You think the SEC bias is that strong that no Pac-12 team besides Oregon can get there? 
you know, I mean, I mean, USC is in the mix, but I'm like, I'm interested in that. Okay, Oregon. you see where I'm going with this. Oh sure, yeah, I think sure. uh, look, but, I think the, the Oregon, doors easily. The Oregon part is particularly interesting because, like, you're not going to have a Georgia Tennessee rematch at one and one versus four because they already played and they're conference mates. But Oregon is like the unique situation where you know they're not conference opponents, uh, but you already you still did have a regular season rematch so you know you like usc and ucla they don't have that problem that's for sure yeah um i i think it's it was a fascinating week for the college football playoff especially this being the first week they released their own rankings to me the fact that they had the audacity to move georgia from one especially down to three after just almost two years of dominance was crazy um that being said uh to me, the more fascinating race, especially after this weekend, is the Heisman race. Can we talk about the Heisman race just for a second? Let's let's do that. You've seen this week, I think we saw CJ Stroud almost take himself out of it. I think he's still in it. Uh, but I think you saw Bo Nix start making a name for himself. A lot of people were talking about him a lot more recently. The Caleb William hype has slowed down. Uh, uh, Bo Nix, though, we're seeing a, I'm seeing a lot of Bo Nix Heisman talk. We are, and you know, it's it's really interesting that you know a forty six point loss uh, and a complete no show in week one of the season uh, is being viewed as oh well, we can throw that game out. What? You don't throw you don't throw that game out. And hey, look, I now people know that I was a critic and, and a skeptic of Bonix before the season, and I've, I've I. admitted I've admitted on USC shows that I do on YouTube and other, other media spots, I've admitted, hey, Bo Nix has thrown it in my face. It's proved me wrong. I'm, I've taken the L in terms of Bo Nix and evaluating him this season. So, like, this is not, you know, me clinging to an anti-Bo Nix sentiment. This is about the Heisman race. You can't go up against a team like Georgia and, and an elite defense, lose by 46, and, oh, you're still the most outstanding player in college football? No, like that, that it's not how that works. You, you at least have to have a half, a halfway credible showing against an elite opponent. The fact that you played Georgia in week one, you know, we could say, well, Oregon had to work out the kinks and Oregon, you know, didn't know what it had under Dan Lanning and that coaching staff needed to get adjusted and they probably shouldn't have scheduled that week one game. Well, that's part of the deal, man. Like if in the future, if you have a Heisman trophy quarterback and you want to put him in a position to succeed you don't schedule georgia in week one you do it in week two or week three after you've had a few tune-ups you know to make sure you know what you yeah. have so like oregon has to live with the consequences of scheduling georgia in week one like we should not give oregon or bonix a pass because it was week one like that that should never be a, a factor in heisman conversations um you know if, if uh if, you know, if, it, if that wasn't Georgia and if the margin was, you know, 15 points instead of 46, if, we, if other details were different, you know, we could have a different conversation. But I'm, I'm really not on board with the idea that, you know, we throw out the Georgia game as though you automatically get a mulligan. Like that was a proving ground game. Um, and maybe Bo Nix gets a second shot at Georgia. But of course, that won't be until the postseason. It, I think the, the interesting Bo Nix question is, you know, if we had a Heisman trophy given out after the Bulls, 
you know, and, and let's say he had a re, has a rematch against Georgia and he does well, you know, then we could award the Heisman to him. But of course, we don't award the Heisman after the Bulls. So, you know, now, do I think Bo Nix deserves to be considered as a Heisman finalist? Absolutely. Like his body of work cer- certainly recommends that. There's no question about that. But in terms of winning the award, I, I think he has eliminated himself uh, from contention. Yeah, I mean, if, if, he, if he if he goes twelve and one and wins the Pac twelve, he definitely is a finalist. And I think that I think that's the seeding there. You know, Hendon Hooker is is still in the mix. Uh, the fact that he got owned against Georgia, um, you know, you could throw him in, into the pot with Bo Nix in, in that regard. That he didn't do much against uh, Georgia, but of course that was a road game. And, and Hendon Hooker has that win over Alabama, which is better and bigger than anything Bo Nix has done. I mean, you know, Bo Nix's signature moment to date was the 20-point comeback against Washington State. Also really good against UCLA, but UCLA has a terrible defense. It really was, you know, Washington State has a good defense, and Bo Nix led a big, late comeback uh, against the Cougars. Uh, you know, under the gun, down 34-22. That, that really was his Heisman moment. Um, mm. But if we're comparing that to Hendon Hooker putting 52 on Nick Saban in Alabama, um, you know, I, I, I would still rate Hendon Hooker uh, ahead of Bo Nix. You also have Max Duggan at TCU, who wasn't great this past weekend, but, you know, he's been, he's been pulling out comeback wins left and right this year. Been absolutely fantastic. Um, I would put Duggan ahead of, of Bo Nix. Uh, C.J. Stroud, that, now that's uh, a, a more difficult call. But, of course, you know we get to see what C.J. Stroud is made of when he goes up against Michigan. And that's going to be his platform. That's going to be his big opportunity, C.J. Stroud against Michigan. Um, but I don't think you can have Bo Nix uh, in the top two. I think you could have him as high as third uh, with Caleb Williams also being Part of the conversation, also Dorian Thompson Robinson. Part of the conversation. Oh, you're um, putting DTR you know, in there. You have to put DTR in there. DTR has been sensational this year, and uh, he, he I, you know, he made some incredibly acrobatic plays. Like he was a freak uh, against uh, Arizona State. You have to include him in the conversation. Um, but I think that, you know the the main thing to say, Alex, on the Heisman Trophy debate and and Bo Nix and the and these Pac-12 quarterbacks in particular. We're going to get showdown Saturday on November 19th. Well, we can just oh, yeah. look at those games, see where we are. I promise after you that. that. Yep. Yep. So like th- th- this thing should be able to resolve itself and Bo Nix will get some chances to make more statements. Um, but in terms of like being number one, the Georgia game has to be a significant part of the conversation uh, as opposed to a peripheral one. Um, Alex, let me just, let me just ask. Bonix, Caleb Williams, DTR. How do you rank them uh, right now as, as Heisman candidates? Not as NFL draft prospects, but if you had a Heisman ballot, you were just asked for, to, to rank those three Heisman contenders. How would you mm-hmm. uh, rank? I would put Caleb Williams first. I don't want this used for blackmail, but I, oh, you know, I, I've never really given DTR the proper thought, maybe because he's a Bruin, but now that I have, I think you got to put him second out of the three, which is crazy. 
which is crazy because Bo Nix beat him. But but yeah, I mean, DTR is the reason that UCLA is here. No, it's you got it. I think I think because of because of because of that UCLA Oregon win, I think you got. Mm, but, tricky. Yeah. Well, I I think you know, Alex. I think your hesitation, which comes across pretty honestly, I think your hesitation is the answer. Like it's not easy to yep. sniff those three uh, apart in a way which you know is is easy to do. Like oh, it's obvious. Because it isn't, you know, DTR being so great is why Chip Kelly has had this uh, uh, resurrection and metamorphosis at UCLA. So yeah, they all they all have really strong cases to make. I think the, e- the easy answer, Alex, of course. Let's just see what happens on November nineteenth. All right, more of the show coming up. But first, hey, the college football season we're we're almost at rivalry week almost at the conference championship games. Yeah, the season's going by, but you still have a lot of big games, big games that you might be interested in betting on. So you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on, like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. We want you to go to betus.com. Take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from College Gridiron Coast to Coast. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. That's how it works. If you put in $200, uh, you deposit $200, you get $250, and so on. That, that's, the, that's the math. BetUS also has the NFL. Okay. World Series is over, but you have NBA, NHL, and college basketball is here. Boy, so a ton of games every day, you know, from now through March Madness. College basketball is here, and the other sports that you can think of are wager on. We have the World Cup coming up in a few weeks. So for college football fans and all sports fans, there's so much action uh, to turn to at BetUS. Check them out at BETUS.com. And remember, our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code at College Gridiron Coast to Coast, Coast22. That's Coast22. Bet US. You bet. You win. You get paid. All right, Alex. So we've been talking about Pac-12 and the Heisman and the playoff. Our, our Mountain West segment, uh, you know, once again, just when you think that maybe, maybe, one Mountain West team is going to do the responsible thing and finally get on a roll and finally act <laughs> like a heavyweight and finally put it all together. Nope, that's just not possible. Boise State was dump trucking opponents. I mean, this looked like the old Boise State the past few weeks. They were just putting on people. You know, they were putting, they're ringing up 35, 40 point wins. It looked like the old Boise State for a few weeks and they got their offense sorted out under their new quarterback um they were punishing folks uh in october they get into november and what happens they lose to a not very good byu team you know this byu team gave up 52 to arkansas the same arkansas team that just lost at home to liberty uh byu's had a very very rough year lost at home to east carolina like that that was not the byu team we saw uh each of the past two years 2020 uh, with Zach Wilson, and then 2021, another very successful team uh, that, that had a had a big year. Uh, BYU's been down big this year. 
big regression, and yet that team was able to beat Boise State. So, like you just the Mountain West just continues to careen off the highway into a ditch. It just happens every single week uh, in, in, for for at least one of the prominent teams in the conference. Sometimes it's Air Force, sometimes it's San Diego yeah, wait, State. What prominent? You- Prominent teams as if they're any plural. Mavs, I'm like, I think you're a little selfish. I think you wanted Boise State to win so that finally things could start making sense in the Mountain West because nothing makes sense this season. Nothing. Nothing does. I mean, San Jose State is uh, very much in contention. San Jose State is very much in contention uh, in its division. But, you know, the, the Spartans barely beat Nevada. And they barely beat Colorado State. And those are the two worst teams in the conference. And San Jose State is narrowly defeating them at home. So, like, even, even when a team such as San Jose State is taking care of business, it's very narrowly over not very good teams. San Jose State still has to play uh, San Diego State. Like, and what's going to happen in that game? Uh, you know, and San Diego State barely beat UNLV at home. Like, just, just no one wants to take control of this thing. Well, going off to talk about the BYU-Boise State game briefly, I think, you know, what what started to give uh, kind of Boise State that, that controlled the conference was even nationally, their their pass defense seemed to be top-notch until they played the Cougs because over 500 yards total, over 370 yards passing, guys – is the Mountain West. That should not be happening. It, it shouldn't. And it just, you know, it, it just re- reiterates just how zigzaggy this conference has been. You know, a, a week ago, you know, when you, when you weren't here, I, you know, recapped the uh, Fresno State San Diego State game where San Diego State gets off to a 28 10 lead. And the first, the most eye grabbing part of that whole fact was wait, San Diego State scored 28 points? Like their offense showed up. Their offense has been terrible this year. So San Diego State gets the 28-10 lead. Their offense shows up. So you think, oh, money in the bank with that elite defense. Like defense has been great for San Diego State all season long. If they score 28 points, it's good night, game over, drive home safely. Oh, no, Fresno State actually makes a comeback, scores two touchdowns in 13 seconds in the final two minutes, recovers an onside kick. Like just this is this is the year where sanity just has absolutely left the door in the mountain west conference it's really crazy alex blau i'm i'm right there with you matt stomach i i i thought this was finally boise state pulling away with it you know we'll, we'll go back to air force see what they can do that's that's if i had to put a, a some money on a horse in the race that's uh, i think where i'm going right now yeah i mean uh, the problem for air force is that it lost to boise state head to head now maybe maybe beating army and winning the who knows if history means anything in this conference (laughs) a very on point question but maybe winning the commander-in-chief trophy and by the way you want to listen to our friends at yards and stripes the service academy podcast under the college gridiron coast to coast banner um you want to listen to the air force army review this week at yards and stripes but Maybe winning the CIC trophy is what gets Air Force going for the home stretch uh, in this 2022 season. So we don't know what madcap, zany, wacky uh, plot twists are ahead of us in the Mountain West. All right, Alex, one week away, showdown Saturday in the Pac-12. 
USC, UCLA, Utah, Oregon. We can't wait. And, the, you know, USC plays Colorado on a Friday this week. So we get to, you know, USC gets an extra day of rest for UCLA, uh, gets to, you know, USC will watch UCLA on Saturday and the other uh, top teams in the, in the Pac-12 while uh, sipping on a, on, a, on a refreshing orange juice uh, with ice beverage, you know, something, something wholesome. Uh, USC can watch everybody <laughs> on, sure. on, on Saturday. So one week away from a really big day of games in the Pac-12, and we're going to preview them right here on Get Off My Pylon, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Alex, great show. We're going to see you all next week here on Get Off My Pylon.